All right. Well, welcome to the Global Math Department, everyone. My name is Lee Natero, and I'll be your host. Tonight, we're going to be hearing from Amy Chang. Before we begin our session, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the Global Math Department. The Global Math Department is an organization that is run entirely by volunteers, and we have been doing webinars for 11 years now. This is our final season, and Amy's session is our countdown from five, and then we'll have four, three, two, and one. Um, so hopefully you'll be able to return to see some of our other sessions. We have had over 20,000 views on our YouTube channel and also 20,000 views of our recordings through our hosting platform. If you have any question for us, questions for us, please feel to reach out to us on Twitter or at our email address, globalmathdepartment at gmail.com. But before I introduce our speaker, I'd like to explain how our webinars work. Our webinars are recorded and are available about 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same link you used to get here tonight. The Global Math Department community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. And if the chatter gets busy, I'll be sure to catch your questions for our presenter. If you haven't already done so, please introduce yourself in the chat, telling us what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is, if you have one. We'll give everybody a moment to type in the chat. I know we've, I see some familiar names in the list of attendees. Um, our webinar speaker is Amy. Amy will be sharing on the topic, street data from implementing building thinking classrooms in middle school. Amy Chang has been a math coach for the past 12 years and currently serves as a PK-12 coach for the Mohawk Trail Regional School District in Western Massachusetts. Since 2015, Amy has served as an adjunct instructor for the Mathematics Leadership Master's Program at Mount Holyoke College. In all the work, Amy hopes to empower teachers to advance student thinking and to make systemic transformations that enable all students to experience joy and confidence in mathematics. In their free time, Amy loves to rock climb, hike, and hang out with their three children, Olive, Levi, and Ezra. And I'm gonna turn the presentation over to Amy. Thank you so much, Lee. I'm so excited to see all these people arriving in chat. Welcome. I'm seeing a bunch of middle school folks, middle and high school folks. So I'm hopeful that this will be helpful for the work that you're doing as well. So I'm Amy Chang, and I also have, you'll notice I have another name on my presentation, which is Laura Rubinaccio, who is the seventh grade math teacher who has done almost all of the work as as part of this project. She's not able to present here with me tonight, but she's gonna be one of our main topics, our sources of information as we go through this. Um, so here's where I'd like to start. I'd like to bring you to Mohawk Trail Regional School. This is our middle high school. We are out in rural Western Massachusetts. Um, the school district encompasses nine towns. Um, the entire district pre-K to 12 is about 750 students. 
Um, it's more than 90% white students um, and about 60% low income. And it is just like an absolutely stunning place to be. I grabbed this photo from the fall of just the foliage. So you could kind of just imagine where we are um, out in Western Mass. And now I would like to welcome you into Laura's classroom. This is Laura's seventh grade math class, and the students are actually working on a task in this image. Um, and if you look, this is the view from the windowsill where Laura will often sit once she launches a task. Um, Amy, for some reason, there is no image there. Hmm. There mm -hmm. we go. Now we can see it. Okay, this happened last time too. Interesting. Okay, a little bit laggy. So you've got the classroom now. Do Lee, thank you, and do let me know if that happens again. Um, so straight across from the windowsill, you see that wall of cabinets, and on that cabinet is where Laura will post a task. So when students come in, they gather around that cabinet. She sends them off to these boards where you can see very small at the top of those boards. They each have a number attached to them that helps students know where, they, where they're where they headed to. So just a little glimpse of that classroom to bring you in. Here's where I'd love to know from you about your interest and your just um, your, whether you've read the book, whether you're implementing building thinking classrooms, um, whether this is just something that you're hearing about and you're interested in, will you take a moment and write in the chat just so I have a sense of what you know and what you've experienced? Did you read the book? Are you implementing? What do you want to learn about? Great. It is a great book. Yep, starting, read the book and starting some implementation. Read it, loving it, coaching it, read it. Book study, great. Just got the copy, yes. <laughs> so, um, and some people are implementing some parts. Yeah, trying it out, great. Oh, I love this, I'm so excited. Yeah, so lots of folks who have been playing around. We have like a variety of implementation and who have read it. Great. Okay. Oh, hi, Sarah Hobson. So um, let me just give you kind of an overview of where this book comes from. You know, for those of you who have read or haven't read, I know when Peter Lilydell is going to be coming to speak with the Global Math Department. So we all got to come back for that. So this book comes out of 14 years of research with hundreds of um, pre-K to 12 classroom teachers. And Lily Dahl started doing some classroom observations um, and noticed that in many classrooms, um, students, some students were thinking and trying things on their own, but many more were mimicking we're stalling, we're faking, just sort of holding on to time, but not actively doing the learning that we would hope that they're doing. And what Lily Dahl started to think about was that much of how classrooms look and um, much of what happens in classrooms hasn't changed in forever. 
you know, the classrooms look very much the same with a teacher up at the front of the class um, and students kind of copying or just kind of being passive recipients of knowledge. And that when students walk into a classroom that looks that way, they perform these studenting behaviors, these kind of institutional norms that have existed in classrooms for, for a long time, cue these studenting behaviors. So his research project began because he wanted to see what are the variables that would encourage students to think. And they did all kinds of things, but they found that when students walk into a classroom that looks very different and feels very different, they realize that they have to do something different themselves. They have to think. So by, by doing all of these various experiments, he, um, he from, this, from this research, emerged these collection of 14 optimal pedagogical moves that offer a framework for which teachers can build their thinking classroom. So here is um, a quote from him. I always say that my book has stories and data in it, but those are my stories and my data. The real data, the real stories that are going to impact your practice, that are going to sustain your practice are the stories and the data that happen in your own classroom. So give it a try and see what happens. And that's what I have for you today two things. I have some of my own mine and Laura's story to share with you. And I also some encouragement for you to give it a try and see what happens for you. So we are going to later on in this session, we're going to look at some student reflections. Um, and I want to share three of them with you now. Laura really wanted to know what is this experience like for her students? So she sat down individually with um, a bunch of her students and asked them a little bit about their math learning story. Like, what has math been like for you? What has been challenging? Where are your successes? And then asked them to share a little bit about their experience with thinking classrooms. So she wrote, she recorded, um, typed down their responses as they shared them with her. And what she did was she went back and had three of her students record their voices. And so they're reading back their own words. And I'd like to share those with you now. Um, I'm gonna play them and hope that they come through on the mic. And if it doesn't work, Lee, would you mind just letting me know if they if you can't hear these? I'm gonna make sure that my volume is up. Okay. Has it started, Amy? I'm not hearing anything. Oh, it's not working. Okay. All right. So it's not picking up through the mic. No. Uh, it does not does not seem to be. Sorry about that. Okay, that's okay. We'll read them later. All right. So let me just bring you into Laura's journey, which actually I saw a few um, chat messages go by that were kind of similar to this. Last year, Laura and I read Building Thinking Classrooms together in a book group. Um, 
And we started just experimenting with some non-curricular tasks once or twice a week. I would come into a room, we would launch one together during her first period class, and then she would carry them through. Um, and she saw these just by launching things onto a vertical surface and having random groups and some engaging tasks she saw some dramatically different behaviors than when students were working on paper and pencil. They would, they would just be highly engaged and motivated up on the board. And then she described it as this bubble and the bubble would kind of burst once they went back to working on paper. So Laura felt really committed to implementing some more this year. So this year she has really gone for it um, she's starting her class with good tasks, either curricular or non-curricular. She's giving her tasks early in the class and standing, and she's giving those directions verbally. These are some of those 14 practices that Lily Adal describes. She's forming visibly random groups. She's using these vertical surfaces. She has these gorgeous whiteboards she's answering keep thinking questions she's using hints and extensions to keep kids in the zone um, and she's evaluating what she values i'm going to tell you a little bit more about these in a moment but just wanted to give you because i saw in this list many people are kind of partially implementing not all the, it's it's a huge undertaking to get it all there but these are the parts these are the elements that are part of Laura's thinking classroom right now. And she and I did some reflecting together and she kind of thought about which were the most impactful of these, of these strategies that she's implementing, which ones were the most impactful for her. So I wanna tell you a little bit more about these four practices that Laura has really found are making the most, she's finding these to make the most difference for her students. So the first one is to form visibly random groups. At, after Laura verbally launches her task, she has students draw a card from a deck and they use that card, whatever number they have on the card has a corresponding number up on the board and they go off to the boards to work in these random groups. So I think one of the things that Lily Dahl writes about in his research is that even when teachers are pulling popsicle sticks or, or making random groups, often students still feel like there are designated roles for each student, like the teacher has decided that. Um, and when we have these random groups, everyone in the group is responsible for contributing. I think when Laura uses these random groups, she is um, kind of communicating to students, I believe in you, and I know that you have something important to contribute. Initially, there was some resistance to the idea of working with other folks, but now um, students are very agreeable. They know it's not forever and everyone seems to find a way to help in the group. So she's finding this to be incredibly important. She's also using vertical non-permanent surfaces, these whiteboards. Um, and Lily Dahl writes about how wall-mount wall whiteboards greatly reduced stalling and faking and increased think time. 
And he says that nothing had such a profound effect on student thinking as vertical whiteboards. So for Laura, what she loves about this is that she takes her seat, you know, that vantage point that we started with, she takes her seat at the windowsill and she can see what's happening in six groups all at once. She can have eyes on everything that's happening. She can see where misconceptions are starting to blossom. She can see where people are stuck and address that. So for her, she feels like those vertical surfaces are a wonderful way to keep an eye on the class. Um, and for the students, she's finding um, that, the, that the, the fact that you can erase kind of reduces risk. Um, she's finding that standing and being in these groups um, reduces anonymity. Students can't hide. You can't stall and fake as easily when you're right out there. Um, and that um, and that their verbal communication increases too because they they don't have paper to write on. They're not seated. They have um, there's some like nonverbal communication and verbal communication that are happening up at these surfaces. Um, she also is finding it really important to answer only keep thinking questions. So Lily Dahl identifies um, stop thinking questions and keep thinking questions. And stop thinking questions are the one that you hear like 55 times a day in math class. Am I right? Or is this on the test? Um, versus a keep thinking question like, will this always work? So Laura will always answer any questions that are clarifying, but she won't answer any stop thinking questions. Is this on the test? Am I right? Um, she, her students, in fact, have stopped asking those questions of her. Um, and Laura has, has, has sort of worked out a system for herself where she thinks like, when she hears a question, is this somebody asking for more work or less work, more thinking or less thinking? And if it's more thinking, she's gonna just jump in and, and support. Um, the other thing that she's doing is answering clarification and she's offering hints as needed to students. Um, Lily Adal talks about flow and maintaining flow, which is this like great space um, in between boredom and frustration where the challenge is just right and students can kind of bounce back and forth um, with, with tasks that are just at their level. So she's able to do that too through questioning. Um, and finally, Laura has made 40% of her students' grades um, from, from their um, self-assessments and her assessments on collaboration, perseverance, and risk-taking. So these are um, three competencies that Lily Dahl um, identifies as being really critical in a thinking classroom. And the way that she did this was she worked with students, they watched some short videos, and they themselves set up criteria for each of these, collaboration, perseverance, and risk-taking, to describe what it does not look like and what it does look like. So this board is in her classroom. Um, and I want to give you a closer look at what one of these part of one of these self assessments looks like. So here is one of the rubrics, one of the self assessments that Laura um, has given to her students. This is the part about collaboration. 
And all of these does not look like and looks like criteria have come directly from her students. And she's got this great long line. So instead of having to develop a rubric where we're kind of wordsmithing every little step of the way, students can just rate themselves on this open scale. You know, am I um, excluding folks or am I including, where do I fall on this trajectory? So Laura is um, has these posted. She's, when she sits at the windowsill, taking observations, she will connect with students if her assessments and the student's self-assessments don't match. But the beauty of this being 40% of her, of students' grades, is that if you've got somebody who's gonna take over in a group, um, that person can say, you know, we got it, we figured it out. And Laura will say, well, you know, how was your collaboration? Did you work together? Even if you have all of the content mastered in seventh grade math, if you're not collaborating and you're not persevering and you're not risk-taking, risk you know, your grade's gonna, gonna reflect that. Um, the beauty of this is you know, unfortunately, some of this motivation is, is driven by grades, but what has started to happen naturally is that students are really just exhibiting these behaviors. You know, Laura has made it really clear that this is something that is very important in this class. They talk about it often, um, and there, you know, that is a, a large portion of their grade, but what happens now is that students are doing this naturally. So that's been so exciting to see. Um, I want to pause here for a moment and just check in to find out if there are any questions or comments at this point about this journey of implementation. I did not see any questions so far, but this would be a great time for people to ask any questions they may have. Ethan, Ethan. Ethan has a question about the cadence of student self-reflections. Are you thinking about how frequently? Is that what you mean by cadence? Right, weekly, yes. So they, um, they do fill them out weekly. Um, at the end of each week, students will do a self-reflection that includes each of those competencies as well as some reflections on their comfort level with the content that they're working with currently. Um, and Laura will fill out her own for students. Um, there have been moments where it's more frequently than weekly because like there were there was a moment a couple of weeks ago where she felt like collaboration wasn't the way that they, that she knew it could be for students. So they they went back to their criteria again. And she just posted like a little piece of paper right up at every station with the criteria for collaboration so that they could refer back to those. So yeah, they're doing them weekly. And then um, where there are places where Laura and her students aren't seeing eye to eye, um, they do have a conversation about that. Um, I, I would love to share that. So Laura and I have, um, She's been really wonderful about wanting to share what she's done with folks. And I do have a document, but it has live links. So maybe I can connect with Lee about how to get that out to you afterwards. Um, she has her rubric. She has the videos that she watched. She has um, a list of the tasks that she's used. And she is really happy to share all of that. So I'll find a way to get that to folks. 
Yeah, I do have email addresses of folks, so I can. Perfect. Uh, okay, so if I get it to you after tonight, Amy, I'll... Amy will share it with me, and I will get it to to everybody that has been um, in attendance. Great. I mean, she she is she and I together have done all this work, and she just feels like, you know, if it, it can if it can help someone else to implement this, then she's really excited to do that, and so am I. We're just seeing some really great things. Okay, let me jump back in. Um. All right. So you may have seen in the title that we that um, I included this idea of street data. This book, um, and give a shout out in the chat if you have seen this book, um, this is just like a absolute stunner. It, it goes like to and from school with me. Um, the authors of this book, yay, Amy's read it, Beth's read it. Yeah, this book is just like a total game changer. So um, the authors of this book, Shane Safir and Jamila um, Duggan, are suggesting a new way for us to think about the type of data that we prioritize when we're planning for school transformation. Our system of education the way it is um, robs many students of their voices. It marginalizes their brilliance. Um, and it prioritizes like incremental improvement over learning and transformation. Like I'm thinking about, and I, and I imagine this is many of your experience as well, these kind of like, okay, now we're gonna do the training about this and we can check that off. And now we're gonna do the training about this and we'll have learning targets and check that off. And, and that sort of incremental experience versus real transformation of the system itself. Um, so they suggest prioritizing street data, which I'll define for you in a moment, and also looking towards the margins and centering those voices. So we choose the margins, flipping the dashboard upside down to center the experiences of those who matter most, not policymakers, certainly not test makers, but the families, students, and educators who breathe life into learning. So they describe these three levels of data, satellite, map, and street data. And satellite data is like right now we're doing our state testing. Um, in Massachusetts, it's called the MCAS. And those results, we'll receive them in September. So this data is from way up high. It's very broad. Um, and it's not very timely, like by the time we have that information in September, it's not going to help us make in the moment educational decisions. Map data is, you know, these would be your unit tests or district screeners. These are, you know, on a little bit closer to the ground level. And then there's street data, um, which is these are interviews, these are observations, these are in the moment um, pieces of data that can help us um, make some decisions about what we want to do in our instruction. So satellite data tends to be this kind of deficit thinking, objectifying, static, like that state testing data versus street data which can be showcasing incredibly humanizing and dynamic. I mean, it, you can, it changes moment to moment. And you think about 
um, just the difference in looking at, unfortunately, you know, part of my job a lot is looking at like the red, yellow, and green data of test results and, you know, sorting people in that way versus hearing directly from students about their experience. So street data is the quantitative and qualitative data that emerges at eye level and on higher frequencies when we train our brains to discern it. Um, these are not just stories. They represent how students are performing in relation to developmental expectations, um, how students are feeling about their learning environment, what might be impeding it. Um, they often um, can contain stories of hope and of harm. Um, and they give us this rapid feedback loop and really bring student voice to the surface. So that's what we're going to play with next. We have some street data from Laura's students. So Laura and I would actually really appreciate your feedback and your help. We feel like we're seeing some really beautiful transformations in her class. And we want to look more closely at the data to figure out what is really going on. We are used to looking at test data as evidence of student learning. And tonight, we're going to do something new or new for many of us, which is to look at student reflection data as evidence of learning. So the question um, I would love for you to think about with me tonight we're going to look at these student reflections together, and I want you to think about what evidence is there of disrupting status, highlighting brilliance, or encouraging problem solving? Lofty goals, but we're going for it. Um, so in a moment, I'm going to show you a slide that has, we have a, we have a few different um, reflections to look at. And when you look at it, I'm going to ask you, to hold off on any inferences, I want you to just do some observation. What can you see? What can you count? What words are jumping out at you? Really low inference work in looking at these reflections. And the other thing I wanna um, tell you before I show you the first slide is that um, Laura and I have identified, we've offered some identifying characteristics of these students we pulled, um, she pulled a variety of students, but the data that I have for you are students that are generally at the margins in, um, in the class. These are some of our students of color um, and some of our white students with either IEPs or 504s. We felt like these were the, um, the students whose experience we really wanted to tune into. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, um, put up the next slide, which I believe has three um, student reflections. You can also look at the handout, which has the complete set of um, all of the students that were interviewed. It's got, I believe, 20 different students. But let's start with this one. So feel free to look at the handout if you'd like. And um, let's focus on this one together. And I want you to take a couple moments to take it in. And then as you're noticing, as you're making some observations, please go ahead and type those in the chat. Mm. 
So Mary's noticing that all three of them mention thinking and strategies they use when they're stuck and their I statements. I can do math my way, I figure it out. Knowledge, mobility. Hobson, say a little more. Sarah, say a little more about what in this, where you see knowledge, mobility. Yes, I'm gonna, they seem to like math and are feeling successful. They don't mind being challenged. They like to think about it so they understand. Look around and get ideas and helping with learning. Got it. Yeah, looking around. That is this idea that is one of the core ideas in um, building thinking classrooms is the idea of knowledge mobility. That the teacher isn't the only source of knowledge, that there are multiple sources of knowledge that you can see up on those boards. Yep, seeing peers as a resource that can move their own learning forward. Yeah, mobility, yeah, it says that there's a shift in mathematical authority. Yes, in order to, to pull this off successfully, I think there is some sharing of power that needs to happen. A focus on understanding rather than getting the right answer and moving on. Yeah. Stuck is seen as a state rather than a trait. Peter Lilliel, hello. Let me show you another set. Let's look at another set together. And I'm gonna um, just remind you and encourage you. I Everything is, is really exciting that's happening in the chat. And if you can stick to just what you can observe, what are the words that you see? How many times do you see them appear? What is popping out for you? So here's one more set for us to look at. Yeah, one of the first observations out of the gate is multiple uses of the word fun when talking about math, which is like the thing that we all want. I don't, I mean, I'm, I don't know that I could speak for all of us, but fun, yes. Thinking, absolutely. Positive statements about doing math. Absolutely. Helped my confidence. They know what they're going to do. They're not just copying the teacher's work. These are not statements from students that appear to be mimicking or stalling or faking. Right. But I know um, fun and difficult coexisting like that is that that flow zone where you're in the just right place where something difficult can also be fun. Yeah. And nice. Right. 
and we don't have to carry around the math book anymore. I don't know when that ever happened, but <laughs> apparently that was somebody's experience before. Let me show you one last slide. Um, yeah, I try. Absolutely. Yep. Let me show you one, um, one more slide. Um, as I mentioned in the beginning, we have a very um, small population of students of color, um, which makes it, in my mind, much more important to look towards their experiences. So take one more look here. Are there any differences that you're observing? You're still more than enjoyment of collaboration. Thank you all for writing in the chat. Really appreciate it. Strength in numbers. Yes. Yeah. Working with people I don't normally work with. Absolutely. And standing and moving. Beautiful. Great. They, yeah, lots of mentions of being stuck in all of these, but in these two reflections too, being stuck is okay. That's part of the deal. You know, I, I think often about um, when you work on a jigsaw puzzle and if you don't get your piece right the first time, you don't just like slam it down and feel like I'm just not good at puzzles. You know, you turn it around, you try again, you try a different piece. And um, I hear some of that in these student reflections. Um, yeah, stuck is expected and it's cool to work through. Absolutely. No mention of stopping thinking. No one is giving up. Yeah. Well, they know Laura isn't going to answer if they ask, am I right? Or is this on the test? All right, well, let me... Um, let me share a couple of things with you and feel free to continue to write in the chat. It is lovely to get to interact with all of you. Um, Laura and I had a chance to look at these data with a set of educators from across the state last week at a conference. Um, and we had some observations about our question, some of the original question that we started with um, that folks had highlighted for us that were really helpful. Um, we were thinking about this idea of encouraging problem solving, and you all mentioned a lot about this, these phrases like, we can figure it out, I'm going to think about it, I'm going to find a new solution, I'm going to ask around or look around. Um, and we also saw evidence of making space for brilliance or highlighting brilliance in some of those words that you also identified like fun and confidence and using my way and nice and um, appealing. And, you know, I start with the task and I take off from there and I find that appealing. 
Um, but I want to return to this idea of disrupting status. So this question was something that we asked because we felt like in many ways um, using the, the, um, the random groups, the visible random groups, sent this message to students that we absolutely believe in you. But one of the things that people noticed in some of these um, descriptions that was really interesting to Laura and to me, which, which we hadn't noticed, was that um, some of these problem-solving descriptions are kind of externalized. Like students are saying, um, you know, I look around or I or other people help me or explain it to me or I ask my friends. But there aren't as many mentions of we do this together. My group solves this. There's this sort of step away of externalizing, um, which was very subtle and really important to us to start to think about. So when we look, looked at these data, we um, we felt like there was evidence of this, but this little bit was something for us to continue to think about in our implementation journey. So one of the things that we started to talk about this week was moving into, you know, we're like, which part do we do next? And we were thinking about thin slicing, um, making tasks more accessible so that everybody has something to contribute at every moment along the process. The other thing we were thinking about was returning to collaboration and really focusing on working as a team. Um, just seeing if we could get um, to a place where some of our street data would reflect, especially from these students in particular, these voices that we wanna elevate. Um, if we would see more of this, we figured it out as a team instead of I asked someone else outside of my group. So yes, we're on a journey. Yes, we're really excited about what we're seeing. And um, it was helpful for us to start to think about next steps. And if you are, wherever you are in your implementation journey, or if you have ideas, we, we would absolutely welcome them. Um, so I did want to wrap up with a few of our noticings when we did some, when we did our reflection about what are the most impactful practices, what are the things that we feel like we're generally seeing throughout the classroom as a result of, of implementing um, these pedagogical moves? And we do feel like all students are experiencing productive struggle and success with accessible math tasks. And this is something you reflected in what you saw too that um, students are stuck and that's that's okay. Um, and all students are seen as being sources of knowledge. This is where I also feel like we have some room to grow with um, making sure that all students are internalizing that sense of success or, or having that be part of a group. Laura is also observing some real changes in her role. So, of course, you know, this is a book where we're thinking a lot about what the students are doing, but the teacher role really has shifted for her too. You know, she finds herself sitting on the windowsill watching what's happening. Um, she's doing a lot more facilitating of learning. 
she's really committed to answering only those questions that contribute to thinking. And this part feels really incredible. She's sharing power with students so that they feel powerful. Um, there is some level to which we have to surrender some of the control and the power so that students can step into that role themselves. And her students really do feel powerful. And our final one, um, and here Sarah and Madison, they figured it out, the penny task. Um, they're giving thumbs up. They approved their seventh grader, so they approved the picture to, for use in this. Um, they're approaching novel tasks with confidence. Whatever it is that is presented to them, they jump in and they start working on it. They do collaborate, persevere, and take risks. And that is now not a result of the grades. That is just what happens when they're working up at the board. And finally, students experience joy in mathematics. There's fun. Um, it's nice. Um, it's appealing. They're having a good time, which I, I feel like is, is the greatest thing for, for me to get to observe in this class and be part of. So um, I want to leave you with our email addresses. Um, Laura would be happy for you to reach out to her. I will share that document um, that has links to all of the resources that she's able to share. Our journey is not over, um, but we are super excited um, about where it's going so far and um, looking forward to um, continuing to look at our street data to see where we are in our in our transformation. So I want to thank you all for coming to look at this with me tonight. Um, and if you have any questions, feel free to type them in. I didn't notice any other questions, um, but there are emojis um, above uh, or below Amy's picture. So feel free to to click on any emoji there that you might feel like expresses your view about attending this session. Thank you all so much for coming. And we thank all of you for being in attendance tonight. Um, oh, there is a question from Zach. Zach. Let's see. Oh, there it is. Um, have you had any experience or suggestions for implementing any of these ideas online? Ooh. Thank you so much, Peter. That means so much to me. Thank you. <laughs> um, that is, no, I don't have any experience yet with implementing these ideas online. I'll, actually, a teeny bit from the book club where um, we are doing random groups. So a group of us are reading this book together. We are doing random grouping, visible random grouping. Um, you know, Zoom will do that for breakout rooms. And having folks work on a whiteboard together, um, so they start the task together with a whiteboard in their um, breakout rooms. It's a you know just a start, but I would be curious to know more about that. 
uh, Debbie pointed out that Peter has a follow-up book that does uh, offer suggestions for online and hybrid classes. So there was a follow-up book uh, to the original Building Thinking Classrooms. So that might be helpful, Zach. And uh, Zach, I hope you come back um, on a later week uh, because uh, Peter will be here and he'll be able to answer your questions uh, live and in person. Uh, Peter will be presenting on May 16th uh, on Building Thinking Classrooms six years later. So that is specifically one that's going to be a, a full uh, hour of question and answers. So that should be very exciting. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yep. Thank you all so much for joining me. Yes, thank you for everyone for being in attendance and joining us. Our next webinar, our fourth to the last webinar, is going to be on April 18th. And the topic is what we learned about math, teaching, and technology while building Desmos. We're going to have many people from the Desmos crew, including Dan Meyer and Eli Luberoff, joining us. Have a wonderful evening or afternoon or morning, wherever you are in the world. So long, everyone. All right, so the recording is